Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Here today with Mark Selby. He's the CEO of Canada Nickel Company. How are you, Mark? I'm good, Matthew. So you're in London? Yes, with nickel being uh, a, a metal that's on investors' mind, you know, getting lots of very attention. So. Yeah, it very much is yeah. uh, that. And what, what sort of people are you seeing? Or what are the sorts of companies coming? Well, it, it's, it's been great. It's a full range of, you know, sort of, you know, high net worth investors, right? Uh, institutional funds, and then uh, even corporates, you know, who are looking for new projects to invest in. So, right. Okay. And just, just very quickly, um, give people an overview of what Canada Nickel is, because it's a relatively new company for you. Yeah but not necessarily a new company. Right, yeah, no, it, we basically, uh, we're advancing the Crawford Nickel project. It's a brand new discovery. Right. Nickel has very few new discoveries. Um, and so uh, it, it's very similar to a project called Dumont, uh, which in my previous life at RNC yep. Minerals, we advanced from a resource all the way to full, full, fully permitted, fully feasible, full feasibility study construction ready project. Right. And I will be able to take all the learnings from Dumont and apply it to this deposit and advance it, you know, what we hope quite quickly. Nice. Yeah. Nice. But we're not here to talk about that today. No, we are not. You have quite kindly um, said you give us a bit of time to understand the nickel market. Now, yeah. you've, been, you've been in the nickel market a long time. Yeah, no, I was head of market research at Inco in 2001. Yeah. Um, and have continued to be a commentator on the nickel market now for nearly 20 years. So. Right, okay. Now, and the reason I, I think it's quite important because we, we're kind of starting a series where we're just helping people understand various commodities yeah. as they hit various points in the cycle. Yeah. So nickel is, well, complicated. Yes. So say, right? Yeah. So why don't, we, why don't we talk about some of the, sure. the back, background to that, maybe even from, you know, a bit prior to 2001, yeah. um, and then we'll get into some supply-demand type conversations. Okay, so, that sounds great. So, um, when, when did you, you first got into it in 2001? Yes. What was it doing then? Yeah, I literally joined Inco um, yeah. at the, at, within a few days of the trough of the nickel price in October 2001, it was hit. hit. It hit about $2 a pound or $4,400. Right. The reason I ask is so, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, people need to go through cycles to understand how commodities, well, and their behaves. Yes. So you, you came in, that, that's a particularly interesting time. Yeah. Is that tough? Oh, it was, well, it was, it was I, I knew what I was getting into. Right. Um, I would love to see that, you know, uh, I, I got into mining at that time because I saw the rise of China and that it was going to mm. transform, you know, metals demand and we were going to go through a super cycle. But, yeah. you know, uh, I quickly realized when I got in that role how, how important China was going to be, but I, I didn't didn't know that you know going into the at job. that point. So, at that point. Yeah. so you mentioned the phrase there, super cycles. Yeah. So it's a phrase quite commonly associated with nickel. Can you explain to people what that means and maybe examples of some some of those super cycles? Sure. Yeah. Um, nickel, uh, you know, nickel is a, is a metal that has always been more volatile than a, than mm. a number of the other base metals. Mm. Um, it's, it's big, but not very big relative to say copper and aluminum and zinc yep. and so forth. Um, the other part of it is, is there are some real um, you know, structural issues in the market that have sort of come to bear over time. And so, um, you know, if you go back in history, you know, nickel it has gotten to very high prices. So in the late 1960s, mm -hmm. um, nickel got to the equivalent of $50 a pound in today's dollars. Okay. Um, you know, we went through another super cycle in the late 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, again in the mid 2000s. So yeah. with with EV and everything like that, it, you know, I, I and and a decade of underinvestment uh, and new supply. I think we're you know we're you know I I believe we're on the verge of a new super cycle coming in nickel sometime during the early to mid 2020s. So you mentioned another word there, volatility. Yeah. yeah. Right. So but what is 
what is dri- what has traditionally driven that volatility, mm-hmm. and is it something that you see necessarily going forward? Because people talk about the EV revolution solving a lot of problems for a lot of companies, apparently. Right. So, yes. And cancer know, as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's yeah. it going to do uh, going forward? But let's start with where this volatility has happened and why in the past. Yeah. No. I, I think for investors, you know, that's one thing to to, to pay attention to. It, it's it's you know you are we are going to go through some you know major swings as mm. you know as we go in a you know sustained upturn yeah. but it's not going to be you know it's definitely not going to be a straight line the things that are specific to nickel that you know enhance that the volatility is that you know historically uh, stainless steel is the mm-hmm. primary demand driver mm-hmm. um, for, for nickel um, and they have a pricing model that basically uh, um, builds in the expectation of future price price increases. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you 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 get buying behavior throughout the chain where people anticipate prices going to go up. So mm-hmm. um, they you know um, they they stop buying and then when when they think it's going to roll over, everybody you know says, puts their hands in their pockets, waits for the price to come back, and then comes back into you know to the market again. So uh, and we've seen evidence of it already. You know this past year, nickel got to eighteen thousand dollars a ton, yeah. eight dollars a pound in September. And as I said when we first talked, that yeah. you know by the end of the year it's going to come off probably fifteen or twenty percent. So explain why. Um, two reasons. One, as you get a new new spike um, in in nickel prices, two things happen. Uh, one, nickel pig iron production. Basically, mm-hmm. you know the, the Chinese producers have a bunch of ore stockpiles, and, yep. and they can t- turn that into cash at higher nickel prices. So yep. they take advantage of those surge in prices. It's if I can make money making NPI, I will make NPI. Um, and the other piece of it is um, the stainless steel uh, scrap chain, which is a mm-hmm. massive, um, a massive source of feed. And I would again would encourage you know people. Scrap is something that isn't talked about, but it is mm-hmm. a huge factor in overall I mean, supply. What is scrap precisely? When you yeah. Price. So, um, so scrap is a is a big component of stainless steel production. Mm-hmm. So for most of the stainless steel producers in the West, you know, more than two thirds of their feed is is scrap material of, of right. nickel containing materials. Now it's not all exactly, you know, it's not a bunch of stainless steel knives and forks. Sure. Um, it's actually a blended box of material that scrap makers make to a specific specification. scrap yards. Scrap okay. yards and they take t- okay. you know, 10 of this, five of that, four of that, two of that, one of that, put it in a container okay. and that container meets the specifications that have been agreed with that stainless steel supplier. Um, but what the scrap, the, the entire scrap chain does, you know, is kind of you know, puts a little. They put a little bit away, waiting mm. for high prices to come. And when when they hit, when it hits their number, right. that scrap comes flooding into the market. So, when we hit you know a price level th- this past fall that we haven't been to for four years, yeah. you basically have four years worth of people putting stuff in a corner that all comes Got out into the market. Got it. So, yeah. you, obviously, nickels come off in the last couple of weeks, two three weeks. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so that is. Possibly, what you're saying the cause could be. Or oh, it is because when when lots of scraps available, then stainless steel companies don't need to buy prim, you know, primary nickel, right? Um, and so that that takes more demand out of the market. So you've 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 had a big, and you've got more nickel pig iron in the market as the yeah. Chinese producers um, produce it. So, so, that, so have you got a sort of sense of what the size of each of those is, the the, the, the pig iron and, and, the, and the scrap, and how long is that going to affect the current pricing? Yeah, you know, I, I think next year is going to be sort of a, a tale of two halves. Right. Where it'll probably take us most of the first half of next year to get through that extra amount of scrap that's coming to the market right. and that extra amount of nickel pig iron. So I again, I think prices you know could go another ten to fifteen percent lower from here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once we work through that scrap, work through those ore stocks, mm-hmm. and then we come out on the other side. 
um, and and we you know I think the prices start to move move higher because once that inventory is gone, it's gone. Right. 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 You know, so you end up with you know a big restocking phase that's happened as people have to come back out and say, okay, well I don't have these stockpiles anymore. I need to go buy even more primary material. Yeah. You talk about this OPEC yeah. of nickel. Yeah. What was that actually mean? You know, who are the players? Yes. So you know the the key realization here, I think that people are going to have to you know in in the nickel market mm. um, is. You know, uh, Robert Freeland uh, at the BMO conference called nickel the new gasoline, yep. um, which I thought was a great phrase and, and is, you know, reflects what is going to be happening mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. The EVs move forward here. Um, OPEC at its peak controlled about, you know, just over 50% of the market. Um, and, you know, we remember all the things that countries and companies did to avoid that supply concentration, mm-hmm. um, you know, at that point in time. In the nickel market, Indonesia, the Philippines, and New Caledonia um, will control. A very similar amount of global nickel supply, you know, at that point in time, those are three countries that have, you know, intervened in the mining sector. Uh, those are three countries that have, you know, financial issues, finding you know, revenue issues. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the temptation for them to put some sort of export duty, some way to capture additional value for the country, yeah. um, is going to be just too tempting, um, you know, and and that will come in place, which again will make, you know, nickel assets outside of those areas, you know, much more attractive. Was oil you know, oil outside OPEC a good investment in 1971 or 72. You know, that was a pretty good trade for you know mm, a good mm. you know 20 or 25 years. So I think you know that I think it's going to create those kind of opportunities uh, in the nickel space. That's yeah. fascinating. So we can't talk about supply and not mention Indonesia. Yeah. Big big news. Obviously, I'm going to guess three four weeks ago. Yeah. Right. So and again, this this uh, nickel series is going to be for people of all abilities. Right. A lot of people will know about Indonesia yeah. in some way. So for the, the pleasure of people who don't know about, about it, can you talk about their influence in the marketplace? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that's unique to nickel is it's not as widespread found in in, in many many places across the world. There's some specific geological conditions right. mm-hmm. that have to occur. Um, for you to have nickel deposits. So as a result, nickel supply is, is relatively concentrated in mm-hmm. a few countries. Mm-hmm. And Indonesia, particularly the island of Sulawesi and some nearby islands, you know, are basically the Saudi Arabia of, of, yes. nickel, of right. nickel resources. You know, right. There's a substantial nickel resource base that you know, was tapped mm-hmm. in, in the mid-2000s as, as they mined the ore and shipped it to China to make nickel pig iron. Mm-hmm. And now what the Chinese producers are doing is basically building stainless steel plants on top of the yeah. ore body because that's the cheapest way to make stainless steel. Right. And, you know, and so um, we've seen a massive increase in capacity during that time mm-hmm. frame. Um, and, and we will need more, even more capacity to come. Um, you know, th- that's one of the only places in the world where there's substantial resource reserves available to be developed right. um, today. Okay, so, but they also made an announcement about how, I mean, they, they halted exports. Yes. That's had a big impact. Yeah. Initially, and there were you know, huge uh, shockwaves. Yeah. Um, why did they do that? And yep. what do you think the impact of that's going to be short term and medium term? Sure. So, so they first uh, started banning ore exports back um, about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, w- the the reality is... is so what is it we said they've been stopped starting? Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. come and gone into the market a few times, which again, okay. you know, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I, I think it's been a dif- nickel's been a difficult metal to mm-hmm. invest in is because of some of these dynamics that, 
you know, um, you know what's Indonesia going to do, not do, um, as as we move forward. So in in 2014-15, you know, they basically put this ban in place because when you look at the price of ore, mm. you know, as a percentage of of the you know contained nickel value versus you know the the price of nickel. When you ship it in ore form, the country's really only capturing 15 or 20 percent of the value. Right. Right. And so what Indonesia's, you know, we, country has a finite amount of resources. They wanted to see as much value add happen in Indonesia. So by mm -hmm. putting the ban in place, it was forcing Chinese companies to build their plants in Indonesia mm -hmm. as opposed to China. Um, and that plan plan worked very successfully. It had Indonesia's seen tens of billions of dollars of mm -hmm. investment mm -hmm. uh, in capacity, um, you know, in this area. They then changed their mind um, and allowed some more exports to continue, um, partly because the the local producers, including a state-run company, PT Antam, yeah. uh, was mining high mining uh, to provide high-grade ore to the local Chinese plants, but they're also, you can't just mine you know, the high-grade ore, you have to take some lower grade with it. Yeah. So they were facing mountain, basically mountains of unsold ore that they couldn't do right. anything with. So you know, they, the, the in Indonesia then allowed exports for a period of time, and this mm. was supposed to continue until 2022. And what the big announcement was this summer was where you said, we're gonna pull that forward. Right. Um, and so it got pulled forward to January 1 of next year, mm -hmm. of 2021. And then in the past month or so, there's been talk of, of banning now, but they've actually now allowed some so exports. This, of, this, is, this is driven by what? So there's some, uh, some politics involved here. Yeah. There's, you talked about Chinese local plants. Yeah. So I'm assuming Chinese companies building plants in Indonesia. Yeah. And you know they must hold some sway because the employment royalties, oh big time cash, yeah yeah everything yeah so it, it seems um, you know to be ch changing the the pattern the decision making as regularly as they seem to be doing yeah what's going on there do you know what the dynamics are oh it is it, I mean it does really come down to local stakeholders who you know we are mine you know who are mining ore and want us to continue to sell ore um, to China and, and make right. money that way. And and now you're going to lose you know lose that you know uh, ability that revenue stream right, right. so um, it it comes down to uh, yeah. you know again for just balancing off those local interests versus you know um, versus like you said some of the larger Chinese companies that yeah. are there um, and trying to find that balance you know again going forward once the ban is in place when mm -hmm. they banned it the last time it was a hard you know it was a hard fast rule there was no leakage yeah um, and what by Jan by January 1 of this year um, they will you know you know it will be you know hardly enforced um, and we don't expect any leakage going forward because again they want to encourage that next wave of investment you know in terms of HPAL plants as well and stainless steel plants right so you know they and that's going to come from China yes yes this HPAL not cheap. Not cheap. No, no. You're looking at thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars per ton of capacity. You know that you want at best. Wow. You know at best the you know HPL plants built in other parts of the world mm. um, have faced massive overruns and you know have ran up sixty thousand, seventy thousand, eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars per ton of capacity. That's in place. So and what's that mean as a number? So if I, I'm, I'm you're looking for the capex, what number are you asking me for on a HPL project typically? Oh yeah. So if you're if it's a thirty thousand dollar ton plant, mm -hmm. you know the best the best the best example that's been done is by Sumitomo Metal Mining. Um, they spend about one point four billion dollars U.S. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. These are big yeah. big 
CapEx numbers up front. So very few people can do that. Yeah. Not, not only fund it, but very few people can put that kind of consortium together. Yes. So, which interests me because so we, I know we're focusing on Indonesia yeah. here at the moment, but they are a major player, so if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the Chinese influence, so the China building plants locally, funding them, I mean, how have they structured those things? Is it a build and operate type model? I mean, what typically do they do? Yeah, so it's it's different between the NPI and stainless and right. what they're doing with the HPAL. So okay. the NPI and stainless, you have several large producers and some smaller ones in China who are basically taking the same technology that they put in place in in, in China yeah. and literally building a carbon copy of that plant in, in Indonesia. Just quite efficient? Cut and paste. Yep. Much, you know, those you're looking at, you know, ten to twenty thousand dollars per you know, per ton of installed capacity. Okay. Um, and again, going now all the way you know through to making stainless steel mm-hmm. um, in in Indonesia. So they 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 have the ex- most of them have the expertise in that particular area. Um, when it gets to HPAL, that's hydromet technology. Yeah. If you're making stainless steel, there is no hydrometallurgy involved. Right. So w- you know w- what we've seen in terms of the plants that are being the HPAL plants that are. Um, you know, being built in, in Indonesia today is their joint ventures between several different Chinese partners, um, some of whom bring that hydromet technology, mm-hmm. people who bring the resources, right, and then people who are able to bring, you know, the scope and scale of, of their existing business to help, you know, deliver some capital in right. there to, you know, to, uh, to build the HPAL plant. So n- none, of, none of them are operational yet, and it's going to be a big TBD to see how quickly they ramp up oh boy. relative right. to, you know, you know, some of the other plants that have not done so well. So. Um, you know, it, typically HPAL is taken longer and costs more from in, in most you know in mo- most instances. That's really interesting. Well, again, you know, we t- we've talked to a few nickel companies along yeah. the way, and they, I guess, they're dropping very casually the HPAL bomb yeah. into conversations without necessarily comprehending. I mean, so uh, are there many people in the world who can put put a HPAL project together, not just financially but technically? Oh, I mean, to, again, to, to be honest, you you. Um, Sumitomo Metal Mining, I would say, is the only company that has really done it successfully, that right. delivered projects that have ramped up relatively quickly, um, and you know were delivered close to budget. Um, so that's important. Yes. To note. Yeah. Because again, you know, all this is for the benefit of you know retail and high net worth from the office investors. So yeah, th- th- these are little red flags, which I'm, I'm interested in you know getting out of, getting out of this conversation. So yeah. Sumitomo, and interesting noted. Um, with regards to supply, just sticking on the supply sure. side of things, so who, who are the other influencers? We've dealt a little bit with Indonesia. Yeah. Who are the other players in the market? Yeah, if you look at basically supply today, you've got um, you know a handful of groups that really you know can are control the biggest bulk of supply. So right. again, you've got Indonesian you know production that we've mm-hmm. talked about in terms of NPI and st- integrated stainless that's mm-hmm. there. You have the Chinese nickel pig iron producers that right. you know have been taking ore from Indonesia, but we'll have to get it from the Philippines and a few other countries mm-hmm. um, to continue to pr- produce nickel pig iron in in China. Um, you've got the larger uh, integrated historical producers. So. Um, you know, Valley, Valley, you know, with yeah. Inco from the past, yeah. uh, Glencore with Falconbridge from the past, and then the Russian producer Norilsk, 
Yes. Um, you know, um, each of those are sort of large integrated uh, nickel producers. Aramet is a smaller integrated producer and has again been been around a long time. Um, and then obviously BHP has their, their operations in Western Australia. So so that large you know base of sort of integrated um, you know multi asset producers who nickel is just a, a commodity one of their commodities. Right. You know, or is the other important big chunk of supply. The thing that those guys all seem to have in common is they're vast. Yes. They're big big companies yep. with access to finance. Yeah. Because nickel's not cheap to put together by the sounds of it. Yes, right? no, it is not. Yep. Right. So you, again, from an investor's point of view, you need to sort of understand, when you're looking at companies, you need to understand where they fit in the mix, fit in, fit in the cycle. Yeah. Which I think is something we will get to towards the end of this conversation. Yes. But in terms of picking winners, it's, it's, it's good to understand the, the thesis behind nickel yep. and how companies can actually monetize you know what they've got. Okay, yeah, so yeah. we will get on to yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so on the supply side, I guess just as a first conversation, thank you very much. Demand. Okay. Okay. So we, again, comes back to our lo- lovely super cycles. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, demand at the moment is at what sorts of levels compared to you know historically as you've seen them? Yeah. No. D- demand has continued to be you know quite robust. I think that's yeah. one of the people underestimate uh, about nickel. Uh, so nickel demand has grown at an average of almost 5% a year over the okay. last decade. So for things like copper and zinc, the comparable number would be 2 to 3%. Right. Um, and so... Um, What's that being driven by? Uh, stainless steel growth. So Just stainless steel growth. Okay. You know, that's, you know, batteries are just a couple percent of the market today. Mm-hmm. It's a very small amount. It's going to grow very quickly and mm-hmm. very to a very large number. Mm-hmm. But as of, you know, that all of that historical growth has really been driven by stainless steel and to another extent, alloys and alloy steels. And the reason it's able to, to grow, you know, has grown and will continue to grow is stainless steel is, is a very small fraction of the overall steel market. So stainless steel has a lot of properties um, in terms of long life, highly recyclable, which are you know becoming mm-hmm. more valuable in today's t- today's mm-hmm. economy. Mm-hmm. And so you know stainless steel continues to steal share from other st- you know other types of st- of steels. Um, so you know so we you know we don't see any expect any slowdown in stainless demand growth going forward here. I'm, I'm gonna guess is that coming out of China as well. Yes, it's obviously been you know China has been the you know a right. massive source of demand growth, but yeah. it, it continues to grow in a lot of uh, you know a lot of other countries. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, what are the other kind of demand drivers for for nickel at the moment? Um, the other big one is in terms of high nickel alloys. That's one of the things with with China is that it moves up its economic development curve. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you 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 again. You start with carbon steels. You move to stainless steels, mm-hmm. um, and then when you get into sort of um, you know other sectors of your economy that become more important, you start to use nickel as nickel in things like high nickel alloys that are used in jet engines, gas turbines, right. nuclear power plant alloys. You know, there's you know there's a um, you know, another sort of big chunk of about 15 to 20% of nickel demand that goes into those types of applications. And so every time you're sitting on a plane, if you look out a window, there's several tons of nickel in, in you know, every one of those jet engines. So as, as tourism becomes a big part of yeah. the Chinese economy yeah. and Chinese tourists start to fly everywhere and they're ordering thousands and thousands of planes, you know, that's helping drive nickel demand globally right. um, for those airframe manufacturers. Fascinating. So, we, okay. I'm going to stick with the super cycle sure. thing because yep. it, 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 it sounds terrifying and exciting at the mm-hmm. same time to me. Yeah. Um, so we, where do you think we are in relation to the next super cycle? Because we know what the price is yep. today. Great. Yep. Where do you think it's going to get to? I, I've heard lots of very different numbers right. over the past couple of months from nickel guys. Yeah. What's your view? 
Yeah, no, I think we're, we've I think we've completed leg one. Okay. Of what'll be three or four legs, you know. Okay. Up. Why, um, do you, why do you say that? Well, it, again, it it you you need um, you have a set of conditions that sort of have to unfold over a period of time right. um, to sort of you know start that go, on, then break go, that down go up. For us. So tell us about that. Yeah. So you know what set the stage for us, you know supercycle today is 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 is. You know, and, and what historically has happened in the past is you, you end up in periods of uh, underinvestment. So nickel, mm -hmm. you know, again, to your point of in, in supply that you've got a lot of large companies, mm -hmm. well, they chose to allocate capital to non-nickel projects over the last decade. So, sure. so most of the existing production has shrank um, over the last, last decade. Okay. And so, and a lot of these, you know, the, the existing mines are deep underground mines mm -hmm. um, or um, oh, larger scale processing plants. And so, you know, those are things that you can't, you know, add something in 12 months, be in production. Um, it takes multiple years to do it. So two underground projects. So Valley finally approved the Boise's Bay Underground Project yeah. a couple of years ago. Um, but that was announced in 20, 2017 to 2018. First nickel is not till 2021 and it doesn't ramp up until 2023. Okay. So five years before yeah. from announcement to full production. Yeah. Uh, Glencore and Sudbury, again, new, new mine in Sudbury uh, called on a ping deep, uh, again, you know, the first production won't be for three years because yeah. they're sinking a you know several thousand meter shaft, and then it won't ramp up you know fully for another few years after after that. that so 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 with with that underinvestment, you know, supply can't be flipped on quickly again. Mm -hmm. So so that's the um, that sort of starts to set the basis for it, and then there's you know a demand surge. You know that comes out of, yeah. out of nowhere. So you know, in the late in the '60s, when we had the big spike, it was it was Japan that was growing very very quickly, right. um, and there hadn't been a, a significant. You know, it, it, there was an, some underinvestment in in nickel, and they couldn't catch up quickly enough. Right. They then did overbuilt in the '70s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in in the '80s, um, it was uh, you know again you had Korea and Taiwan industrializing. And so that was driving, you know, a significant amount of new growth. Yeah. And we'd come off ten or fifteen years of, of low nickel prices underinvestment as people were rationalizing capacity yeah. that was overbuilt in the in the early seventies to the response to the, the big spike in, in the sixties. Yeah. And again in, in the two thousands um, through the '90s, nickel had to absorb the collapse of the the collapse of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So that was a big nickel producer and consumer, and and their their consumption of nickel dropped so by 80 or 90 percent. Wow. And you so you had this huge amount of new supply introduced into the market, and a huge amount of scrap that came into the market as basically the Russian economy got torn down, <laughs> and 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 sent sent a scrap um, to the West. So so again that though that t time period leading up to the early 2000s had seen a significant underinvestment in nickel capacity, and then China came along right. and set the spike. So in this case, we've come off a, we're coming off a decade of underinvestment in other capacity outside of Indonesia, and we see now electric vehicles on the horizon and that big lump of demand that's coming that's from the EV story. I think it's fascinating because you, you, so you're seeing the replications. Of what, so therefore, yeah. you, you say there are patterns yeah. for these emerging economies as they grow and get ever more, you know, Demanding consumers. Yeah. Um, so China, China at the moment is where, where are they in their their phase of, of, of development? Because you know, you go to some of the cities and it's hugely sophisticated, but they've got 1.3 billion people. Yeah. 
perhaps don't all live in the, in the cities. No, and that's it. I, I think the thing to, that's important about China is it's not just one country. You've got sort of you know several different areas that are going through a different stage of industrialization. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, so the yeah. you know the coastal eastern coastal cities are probably very up the curve, yeah. right? And then as you move into the western center of the country, you know you get less and less behind, you know less and less developed. So there's you know other parts of the the, the regions that are moving up the curve, and then China's got its Belt and Road. Um, yeah, they're, they're extending that infrastructure build out into you know their, their neighboring true. countries, right? So we, so we were there last year. And we were looking, we're going to Chengdong and Chengdu and Sichuan, and it, you could it's a, it's a noticeable difference. So, but it's coming. Yeah, so that wave is still there. So they they still have a ways to go. Yes, because there's so much of it. Yeah. So that the demand side of of things for China is still encouraging for nickel suppliers. For, yeah, I'm, I'm, and that's not just the EV. That's no, just no. Standard, that five percent demand growth that we've seen in nickel, yeah. you know, and have you know continued to steer for long periods of time. We don't see that you know, yeah. slowing down anytime soon. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay, and so so with regards to you know when when you're I mean you're, you you were at RNC, you had yeah. Dumont before. You've got this new venture which we'll hear about another time. Yeah, you promised to tell us what's going on there. You know how how do companies, um, you know. Get a sense of where they fit in the, in the, in the mix. You know, yeah. so you're looking at these super cycles happening yeah. and these growth patterns, and you know, all the numbers point up, the pricing points up, but it takes a while to get into production. Yeah, it also takes a lot of money. Yes, to get into production. So, yeah. but but before you get anywhere near production, you've kind of you, how how does a junior company go through a process of establishing itself? Given in a world of giants, yes, you mentioned these super yeah. huge. Uh, companies with access, with big balance sheets and access to cash, how does a small company yep. generally yep. get into the market and establish itself? Yeah, so so one of the opportunities, um, and, and this is actually going to be a fundamental shift that's going to happen over the next three or four years. Nickel historically mm. um, was an oligopoly, nickel processing, so mm. downstream processing mm. was an oligopoly um, right. controlled by, you know, Inco Falconbridge, now Valet, right. uh, Norilsk. Uh, Glencore, and so the, the the problem for small miners was, you know, you could build your mine, but yeah. then you had to, you know, sell your concentrate to somebody. And unlike, you know, copper and zinc, you know, where there's benchmark terms, they're negotiated very competitively mm-hmm. every year. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, some fairly, you know, take it or leave it pricing, which transferred a significant amount of the value to the smelter refiner and away from the right. miner. So, you know, mining is hard. You know, yeah. but when you end up having to give up a, a fairly significant share of that value to just smelt the refiner, you got it out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. No one will process it yeah. unless you pay through the nose. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Right. So okay. Got it. What, what's what's now going to be changing in, in the nickel space? It's, we're not there now, but over the next two to three years, is the ch- Chinese and every other semi-finished, semi-processed material mm. built, goes ahead and builds way too much capacity to meet. The market demand, right, um, and then they bid up the price of the feed, yeah, to you know basically a break-even number. So, with nickel sulfate for EVs, which are again you know um, a massive amount of capacities required in Asia, yeah, they will build capacity to take various nickel intermediates, right, um, and then process them into the products that the EV market is going to need. Right. So, so it's opening up the door now for. You know, smaller you know smaller sulfide mines mm-hmm. to be able to come into production and mm-hmm. have you know competitive pricing for their product, you know, uh, in, in two, three, four years time. So, okay. so it, look, it will create the opportunity for some smaller producers to, to more easily come 
to market. Right. Um, you know, in terms of laterite ore suppliers, again, China is going to need um, you know ore supplies. Um, because there's, Indonesia is now not going to be supplying it. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, there's not a lot of places where you find you know, laterite ore in coastal deposits that you can ship right. out of the country, right. but there are some places. You can know, you explain the, the difference uh, between those uh, different types? Yeah. Because again, just want sure. to break this down technically for yep. people so they just get it, feel comfortable with the thesis, but also the, the, te the technical. The sulfide points. versus laterite. Please. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there are prim two primary types of nickel deposits. Mm -hmm. So. Um, sulfide is what you think of in, in Sudbury and so forth. And so, you know, the, the issue there is generally, you know, the, the mining um, is expensive. Um, you could, again, you have to build a deep open, you know, now there tend to be deeper underground mines yeah. or um, you are, you know, bigger open pit operations processing, you know, mm. low grade nickel. Mm. Um, once once you make a concentrate because yeah. you upgrade it from say anywhere from 0.3 percent to three percent nickel yeah. up to something that's you know 10 to 15 or, or, or more percent nickel um, you know the, the processing of it from there is relatively uncomplicated you yeah. know smelter refiner and it, and it, and it gets done yeah. the the tricky part for a laterite project is it's much easier to mine it's basically this is rock that's been converted to dirt yeah. um, over time. And in that process, the nickel and cobalt get concentrated in the soil. Um, so you literally are just digging dirt right. and putting it into, you know, so these mines in Indonesia that ship ore to China literally just dig it up, oh, put it on a boat yeah. and away it goes. Right. Um, so that the mining part of it's quite simple and cheap. And the processing, you know, the mineral that the nickel is in is very is is a complicated mineral so mm -hmm. you have to use a lot of energy either through electricity to melt it all yeah um, and that's how nickel pig iron works yeah. so you take all the soggy dirt dump it in a furnace and melt it and make nickel pig iron or you have to use energy in the form of acid to break the bonds to right. liberate the nickel and cobalt um, so um, to make HPAL that's what yeah. the HPAL um, yeah. process is and so again those are big complicated expensive plants to do that so so you know, one, one's easy to mine, one's yeah. harder to mine, one's much easier to process, one's much harder to process. Yeah, and, and you know, while you're sort of explaining the technical details, sure. which, there's a lot of talk in the market about class one and class two nickel. Again, for the audience, can you explain what the difference is yeah. and the importance of it? Yeah, I know that's the thing. I, I, I <laughs> you know, there's been a massive amount of, of airtime, you know, mm -hmm. about this particular discussion, and and the issue is more should be more about how many total nickel units. We right. have, you know, again, at the end of the day, you can take a sulfide intermediate mm -hmm. and you can you can make a range of products with it. You can make nickel pig iron, ferro-nickel via the roasting approach that we had at Dumont. Mm -hmm. You can take that to a smelter to make finished nickel products. And the same thing through laterite source-based material. You right. know, again, most of that does go to make NPI today, but there's no reason, you know, there are producers, PT Inco uh, and Aramet, um, that are produced for a long time that make mm -hmm. a product that does go to a nickel that goes to a refinery that gets converted into finished nickel and cobalt products that can be used for the battery sector. So I think it's very important for investors to not get um, you know caught up in that particular discussion. Right. And again, I think you know the Chinese are going to build lots of post capacity to process intermediates. Right. You know, junior mining companies, you know having processing plants, you know, at a location to make a product. Yeah. And again, that specification as we go to have more nickel and batteries, that, you know, the specification for that sulfate gets gets stricter and stricter and stricter. 
And so, you know, are you going to build a sulfate plant and then continue to, you know, improve that plant yeah. to be able to make that product? You know, you should just focus on making a high quality intermediate and then you will have a market to, to sell that into in the future. Okay, so you're saying class one, class two, slight distraction, yes. certainly for investors, yep. because the, the market will re resolve uh, the economics around that. Exactly. Okay. There, there will be short-term dislocations, so you know, don't you know, say, oh, today the premium's X, but you know, again, pe nickel sulfate premiums were $2,000 a ton you know, mm -hmm. two years ago. They're, they're down to zero today. So back to our small company. Yeah. Side. Oh, okay. yeah, no, no problem. I just wanted to break, yeah. segue off sure. there and get, break yeah. that down technically. So the, so the small companies, you think it's going to be easier, well, it's all relative, Yeah. for junior nickel uh, miners yes. to actually get get into market, be able to not just find it, dig it out of the ground, but actually get it processed in market as yeah. a result of what you, you think At a competitive out. price. Yeah. At a, well, there's the key. Yeah. It's yeah. all got to be economic, right? Yes. We can all mine, you yeah. take stuff out of the ground, but it's got to be economic. You've got to be able to make money. So you think there's a, a space for, for juniors yeah. in, in this market. Um, do, do you think being, having, do you think mining nickel in the past yeah. is advantageous or do you think nickel is a sort of relatively easy um, type of commodity to get into? If you've mined gold, you've mined silver, it, it, it's, all, it's all the same, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, generally mining is like it's yeah. not. You know, there you there's I mean specifics to a particular metal that yeah. you need to know. But you know, bottom line, the technologies, processes that are used are yeah. relative. You know, are similar. So if you've okay. you know run a copper mine, you should be able to run a, an underground copper mine. Okay. You should be able to run an underground you know nickel operation. Okay, because yeah. we, we, we yeah. talked to some some uh, CEOs of commodities and say, well, if, you, if you've never mined in this space. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Okay. Yeah. But nickels is like less complicated than others. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would say it's it's consistent with the other base metals. You know, there right. are again, and, and each metal does have its you know specifics. Mm. You know that you you do need to know, but you know again, yeah. you can you can find the expertise and and, and you know and, and put it into place. Beautiful. Yeah. Right. So I, I said earlier in the conversation we we're going to sort of try and work out how investors, how we. Mm -hmm. can spot winners yep. versus people who might struggle. So no, on a no-names basis, yep. and I yep. don't want to pick any companies out. Um, I just want to show the, the, the profile a little, a little bit, yep. right, if I may. Yep. So um, the, the, there's bulk place and yep. there's slightly, slightly higher grade place. Yep. Okay, and they each have different challenges. Yes. Okay, so bulk for me is, uh, would that be below below 1%? percent or is it below, uh, below no no it would be, be below half a percent half a percent yeah. okay so that's yeah. that's that would be described as bulk i mean what are the what are the higher grade higher grades would be sort of three or four percent nickel point? yeah Okay. You, yeah, you get some massive sulfide nickel, smaller plays in, in Western Australia. Yeah. And then you get sort of, um, you know, an, another sort of bucket sort of between one and 3% right. um, that you would, could mine underground on a larger okay. scale. Okay. Um, you know, again, the biggest challenge with nickel is just there's just not many new nickel discoveries. Right. Um, you know, we have, you know, if you look at the project pipeline of, mm. of most metals, you know, there's you know, there's literally hundreds of gold projects. There yeah. are dozens yeah. and dozens of copper projects, yeah. you know, in, in the nickel space. You know there really are a, a very limited number of projects, um, and you know there's been a very very limited number of new discoveries. So mm. you know that's the thing. I think when investors start to look at it, there aren't you know a big universe of nickel opportunities you know yeah. with which to invest in. So yeah, so, and, and we we have had the pleasure of meeting a few people. Yeah, um, with, with large scale in terms of 
volume of the yep. resource. Yep. Um, but they're all struggling at the moment because yep. the money's just not quite there for them. Yep. Um, and you know, some are trying to still work out what they've got on the ground and what the economics could look like. But mm -hmm. what, if, if you go and talk to institutions or banks or so forth, you know, what, what are they feeling about this? But given again, the super yep. cycle component to it, how does a financier put together a package based on what they've seen go on in the past? Or does it not matter to them? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think the, the, you know, the, the, key, the key challenge, and again, talking with my experience at RNC and, and, and Dumont, mm. um, you know, for the first you know, seven years there, nickel was an out-of-favor metal. You know, yeah. There were concerns over the long-term you know, long price. Mm. And so you know, it, was, it was very hard for people to you know, get their head around building a big you know, billion-dollar nickel project yeah. you know, at, at that point in time. Um, but with the shift over the last two years, mm. um, you know, they, the, the thing that's been fascinating with the EV sector is, you know, th they want, you know, they, they would like the nickel now and they, yeah. they keep asking, like, when can you, you know, how quickly can you double it? You know, can you double it a second time? You know, we, you know, they, they have such um, massive growth requirements, you know, that, you know, that discussion is, is starting to change. Mm. And, I think one of the things you know that's uh, to me is, is fascinating is you're seeing literally tens of billions of dollars in investment in battery mm. capacity. Yeah. But they haven't necessarily done that for the metal that they're going to need yet. Right. So I think they're going to wake up to that reality soon. Yeah. That you know if you're not also building the capacity, provide the raw materials that you're going to need. You know it's going to make it more challenging to make the battery if you don't have the stuff to make the battery out of. So this, I mean. Say, it's very confusing for investors I yeah. mean, because almost every company that we speak to is pitching the EV revolution, the battery revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to change our fortunes and um, you know, therefore invest in us, buy our shares, whatever, whatever yeah. the, the pitch is. Um, some are more believable than others. We've had, again, some people sort of talk about the timing of all of these things. Yeah. So, you know, I think with, uh, with a, I can't remember the name of those. Couple of CEOs go. Look, the reality is this thing's you know a, a couple of years away. So you know companies between now and a couple of years away, you, you, you know realistically not going to be impacted by you know the yes. revolution yep. or pricing yep. in the market, etc. Um, or demand in the market mm -hmm. at the moment. But they what they what they will say is like, okay, get in cheap. We're, we're our stock is cheap today, so get it get in ahead of the crowd. But yep. How do, how, do, how do you pick winners? What should we be looking for? Specific to nickel, I mean, what, yeah. what sorts of, what are the sorts of things that we should be avoiding? Right. Um, I, again, I think I think the things to the, you know the things to focus on, mm. you know, are because because again, most nickel projects yeah. are expensive, right? So yeah. you know, Va Valley's new underground mine in Boise's Bay is one point five billion dollars. Right. Glencore's new mine, I think, is eight hundred million or a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you know, so. Most of, most nickel projects are going to require a billion dollars or so of capex mm. um, to be able to fund you know that kind of investment. You need large companies to be interested. So so I think you know that's one of the you know one of the things to look at is you know is is the scale of the resource that this company has got going to be attractive to one right. of the majors who say I want to grow in the battery and material space and right. I, I can do that through nickel. Um, you know, again, from the, if in attracting investment from the EV companies, again, mm. they're not going to fund 62 little mines to come into production. You know, they want larger, 
long life, large scale assets right. that can hopefully grow with them as they grow their businesses. So, so what is large scale? Forward. If you said, if you said right, the resource number, mineable resource number is this. Yeah. So so nickel is a two point four million ton market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you can produce you know twenty to thirty thousand tons a day, that's a decent size okay. mining operation. So roughly kind of one percent of of, and if you of can't? global supply. And and, and, no, and if you and if again if you're um, so so I'd say that's that's one class of investment. Yeah. I think the other opportunity again would be you know smaller scale, you know that it's going to produce a concentrate, you know, right. and, and again there I think um, just make sure that you know they're using realistic operating cost assumptions and realistic capital cost assumptions mm. um, in terms of if they're restarting a you know a small scale mine, you know yeah. that's because that's one of the, you know that you know there are some of those opportunities out there today and yeah. some of them are good and are good at a, are good at a good price, um, so. Um, you know, they'll be able to come to market relatively quickly and participate yeah. in the cycle as, as as the nickel market you know re- rebounds. Right. Um, you know, when we when RNC we did the joint venture with Waterton, the cash pool that we we did was to sell down part of Dumont to be able to pick up some of these smaller scale restart opportunities, so you could participate in the cycle more quickly. Okay. As opposed to having to build a big project for two years. Um, right. So yeah. So I would say that's the, so it's the um, world scale asset, the sort of small scale restart or small scale resource that you yeah. can bring into production relatively um, quickly and cheaply. But again, make sure they've got realistic operating capital cost numbers. Well, just on that, yeah. Okay, what name names? You talked about Sumitomo. You talked about HPAL earlier. Yeah. If someone's pitching to the market, they can build a HPAL operation for less than a billion bucks. Are you going to go? That makes sense to me. I know. I, I again, you know, there's there's been one successful person and that's the cheapest yeah you know they've um, they've built multiple plants they built it in the Philippines which is a very low cost place to operate yeah um, so you know if you uh, use use that as a benchmark yeah um, and then scale it up from there so if you're in a higher cost country than the Philippines then that cost you know should go up yeah if and and they only made an intermediate they shipped an intermediate product that went to um, their existing refinery in Japan. Mm-hmm. So if someone's going downstream and going to a final product, yeah. that should be again another chunk of higher cost, because the you know some of the less successful plants. If you look at you know some of the you know capex numbers have they've ballooned to seven, eight, nine, ten billion dollars right. um, before they you know started Hold to work even close properly. <laughs> so you know so you know, right. that, that's that's the upper end. So the uh, answer to that is you would be suspicious of someone. Saying hey, HPAL can operate for if you're spending less than a billion bucks, that would be yeah, a red flag. The, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Thank you for that. Um, I would say justify to me why you think you can build it better than Sumitomo Metal Money. True. Yeah. Okay. So, you, so most most again, coming back to the small companies. So most you are going to have to find strategic investors. Yeah. To because with the with the balance sheet to be able to you know be able to get them raise the money to be able to invest in, yeah. in a nickel project. Um, how would, how should companies structure those relationships? Obviously, you don't necessarily want to come in at PubCo, yeah, because there's going to be nothing left of the company, right? Okay, because so much money. So they come in at asset level, typically. Yeah. And what what do those sorts of relationships look like? I know you've you know you obviously did the water waters and deal, but that's much earlier. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think you know. Uh, you know, again, the nickel projects that will get advanced this cycle, you know, are we, we shall you see are similar deals to what you saw in the copper space. So, right. you have an Asian, you know, either you know off taker or a strategic 
um, who wants access to that yeah. material. And it's, you know, they come in on a joint venture basis. They provide a, you know, a big chunk of the, the equity capital that's required mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then build the, you know, and provide the balance of the financing, you know, to, to get that in place. Right. You know, again, we just haven't seen it in nickel, um, um, but um, it, it will, it will be coming. Mark, thanks very much for your time today. Really enjoyed that. I learned a lot. And I yep. just like learning a lot. And I hope everyone else does too. Um, we're going to talk about your uh, Canada Nickel Company. Yep. Um, maybe when, you, when you're back, back in uh, Canada. Yep, we've got more news coming. So after that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, I look forward to hearing yep. about that. But thank you very much for helping us learn a little bit more about the nickel market. If we can talk to you again at some future date with uh, some questions which do come in from a lot of the viewers and subscribers and followers. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind. Oh, no, very much glad to do it. You know, again, I think this is a metal that people haven't had a chance to invest in very, in very many ways. So, yeah. you know, the more educated investors are, the better decisions are going to make. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.